We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. People don't understand that in these cooking shows, when they're eating this many plates of food or bites of food, when you get to the end, the nuances, the subtle nuances get picked up. But in the beginning, like to get to halfway through, your food better be impactful. It better be crunchy, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, have umami. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. The proud son of Filipino immigrants, Dale Talde grew up immersed in his family's cultural heritage while also enjoying the life of a typical American kid. Dale is the chef and owner of Goose Feather, a signature restaurant located in Terrytown, just outside New York City. He's also the show of Tastemaids All Up In My Grill, and he appeared as a three-time chef testant and judge on Bravo's Emmy Award-winning show Top Chef. On this episode, we talked to Dale about his life in and out of the kitchen, his Chicago upbringing, and what makes a great food TV competitor, which Dale certainly is. Dale is an absolute favorite of mine, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Dale Talday, welcome to This Is Taste. Thank you, man. I've known you for a while. I feel like 15 years. I mean, around the time you were on Top Chef, I feel like I might have talked to you then. But then I went to Talday in Park Slope. Man, that restaurant was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, Taldi was uh, – I, I talk about Taldi like it was um, this real moment in I think the neighborhood's time, but also with Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, it was this, mm. it was this period of Brooklyn where it was so red hot. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn was like on fire. It was like late aughts, like 09. Yeah. Around that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we opened Tall Day in 2012, but it already, you know, Brooklyn had already yeah. been happening by then, right? Roberta's had already been up and running. And, yeah. But when we got open in that part of the slope in Brooklyn, it was just like this weird moment in time where like everyone, I feel like it gave, and listen, there was already people who had been doing things there mm-hmm. and good restaurants, but, um, Oh, definitely. I mean, Aldi La. You Aldi La. Places like that. I mean, these legendary places. But yeah, it would be. It went from a sleepy kind of um, brownstone. Yeah, Strollerville. Strollerville to like actually cool. Yeah, and and you know, I think it branched out to places like Gowanus. And I I look at Gowanus and I, I I like there were some really cutting edge restaurants that were there that would never have been tried to open any other time except for that period in Brooklyn. Oh, but yeah, the like, Pines. Definitely. Little neck. Yeah. I mean, there was these tiny little holes in the Runner wall. Runner and Stone doing great baking, like, ahead of its time. Exactly. Yeah. And every of these people were just doing their thing and taking chances and saying, hey, um, we know we barely have air conditioning. We have 45 seats. Every seat is different from a thrift store. <laughs> yeah. And we have, you know, we have a small hood from a deli because this used to be a deli. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. It, it's like so... To, to think about South Brooklyn and the and the boom, and now it's like you can't even live there anymore. We both have moved out of Brooklyn. We, yeah, absolutely. We, it's, well, we can get, that's a whole different show. But I want to go back to Top Chef because you were in season four originally. Um, take us back to that audition because, like, did you know that you were down to, down to play, down to win? Because you've done subsequent competition shows. You clearly are a winner. 
You know what the fuck you're doing. You know, I got into it purely by chance. I, I do believe if, if at the time, if Kraft Steak Tom's Restaurant wasn't on 10th Avenue <laughs> and in between 14th and 15th Street, I would have never made that. I was late. First of all, I was late for audition. The casting team was a completely different casting team at the time. I was like rolling into work. I passed by Budokan because I was at Budokan right down the yep. street. I was like, hey, I'm going to be like 10 minutes late. I remember you were the guy at Budokan. I remember that. It was before you were on TV. Yeah, yeah, Before I was on TV. You know, I was part of that team Definitely. who were awesome dudes. Awesome. Yang Wong, Brian Ray, Daniel Skernick, shout out to all those dudes who are still doing their thing. Um, and we also had a special moment there too, but I rolled into this casting and it was an audition. I mean, it was a cold call, right? Yeah. Like, I can assume like how any other actor goes into something. I sat down with two people. They're already walking out. I forget the team, but there are there are, there are different casting crew than there are now. I think the casting is in-house, but they outsourced casting yeah. back then. So they were like, sure, we'll take one more person. I sat down. I basically told him like, you know, Padma's never going to tell me my food <laughs> sucks. And like, who are these people that, you know, like whatever. I know what I'm doing. I'm working in one of New York's busiest restaurants. The whole ego-driven, like, whatever. So you went with that character in mind. I did. Because you're not, like, that egocentric guy at all. That's, like, not your vibe. But you clearly knew you needed to be big for the casting. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I'm just five foot six Filipino <laughs> kid. Like, how am I going to stand out? And I was like, all right, you know, rapper persona comes on and, like, hip-hop, <laughs> yes. you know, ego comes on. And that's how <laughs> I, I, I rolled with that. And they're like, this is great. Show up tomorrow at, at this random this was was so odd you showed up at a random hotel room that was a hotel room not like a conference room no it was literally someone's hotel room and then you walked in and there's cameras everywhere mic set up and they're like now we're gonna now we're gonna really interview oh so they they were replicating the interview portion of tv when they're the confessional side i I think kind of but it it was more of a let's get to know you oh we got a we got a touch of what you're what yeah. you're what you're like let's really get to know you and before back in the day you didn't cook for top chef i think season 4 or 5 were the last ones where you didn't cook it was really bit kind of personality based you mean okay backing up you mean you but you had to cook on the show obviously but you weren't cast by cooking you were cast because of personality 100% you were cast by your personality and your resume. Yeah, so they were going after, like, mostly, like, New York, L.A., like, big city chefs. And they were, like, really, they knew, like, if you had, were at Budokan mm-hmm. for four years, you yeah. could actually do something. They checked all those references. Like, my, the executive chef at the time, his name is Brian Ray. He was like, yeah, dude, this guy called you. and This guy called me and asked me all about you. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I hope you said good things. He's like, no, <laughs> I said, you're the worst cook in the world. <laughs> Just kidding. But um that's how it was it was personality driven and now it's become more about the food and you can tell because my season four there was like line cooks on it yeah and like i'm a sous chef i was a sous chef yeah so who was on season four remind me i i, I actually stopped around season four i think stephanie watching. izzard right one richard yeah. blaze heard of her her yeah. heard of him <laughs> richard <laughs> blaze first time antonio lafaso yeah um spike mendelson myself um i mean these are guys yourself included, who've done incredibly well in the career, opening franchises, doing media. Richard is now one of the top TV personalities. You have TV shows that are really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it really helped launch our careers. I mean, we all were, you know, look at the resume, you know, we had worked at great places. Like if you look at Antonia, Antonia had worked for like, um, you know, Wolfgang and his guy and his crew. 
he was she was kind of that crew, right? Mm-hmm. Stephanie had worked with I'd worked with Stephanie Izzard in a, pu- a bunch of different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Blaze had worked with Danielle. We all had worked at reputable places, so um, it really gave us some shine to kind of get our brand and get. And I hate using that word, but it, it's true. Like getting our brand and getting mm-hmm. kind of our personality mm-hmm. out there. So when you're uh, start the filming, the taping, the competition, what are those first early days like? Because back then it seemed like there was a little more mystery going in because there wasn't really social media covering it as much. So you didn't really know what the hell was going on. What was it like? Man, it was, I mean, it was a little like Animal House-ish. <laughs> you know, when season four was definitely Animal house Oh, debauch, you know, There was sure. like, hey, here's two, we were in this mansion, this man, a giant house in Chicago. And there's two fridges, three. <laughs> One's liquor and alcohol. Not <laughs> liquor, it's wine and beer and the other's food. <laughs> and then we, you know, when we got done with an episode or uh, shooting for the day, we would come home and we would crush everything in there. And the next day, magically, completely fully <laughs> to be, like stock to the brim of everything we just had. And then I remember a very vivid part of season four when we came home and like, you know, uh, the Top Chef is broken up into two from competitor standpoint, two people. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you get past the midway point. Those people that make it past the midway point really understand the show. Mm-hmm. But up until then, you're just trying to find your footing. You, you don't really, every day is kind of like this adventure. And Super cra- nervous, right? Crazy you're, nervous. The anxiety. I mean, because you don't want to be booted early. That's like nothing worse than that on a reality yeah. show. But as soon as you get past the midway point, you start to get into a rhythm and understand like, okay, the shoot schedule, what they want of us, all these things. So that's how I define it. Like, you know, but. We would just like we didn't know at the time. Okay, listen, dude, you're getting up at like five a.m. and you're yeah. not shooting until nine. The hurry up and wait part of like Hollywood and 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 yeah. production. And we would just stay up drinking till like two in the morning. So you were like kind of tipsy still <laughs> going into the hung over. Everyone just like yeah. And then you know that season you do your thing, and then when we got back on All Stars, we all were like, can't do that. Take this seriously. <laughs> Like, take it serious. Understand that, like, millions of people are watching this. And yeah, you're part of I mean, a, as you continue to participate, I mean, the, the audience has only grown, which is amazing for a show because that never happens. It's always the inverse with TV shows. Usually the audience wanes. But Top Chef, bigger than ever in season 20 right now. Yeah, and it's always, you know, I think they've they've separated themselves from the pack, right? They've, yeah. they're not the... Cook with, you know, cook with one leg standing up and, you know, <laughs> tie your arm behind the back and yeah. close one eye. It's like, hey, bring your best food. We're going to throw a lot of crazy things at you, but we want the best plate of food. We don't want the side drama. We don't need everyone to get yelled at or become, you know, be, be called a dummy in front of a bunch of people. No. Just cook good food. Mm. How do you do season four? How do you do? What was your— what Sixth. Was your no- Came in sixth. Um, who was, who was Out of num- 18. Who was number five? Do you remember— do you remember the person who just just beat you, or do you not think about it that way? You think of it more of like the net positive that came out of it. It was Spike. Spike was five. Okay, Spike was five. and Steph won. Steph won. Yeah, yeah. She Spike won. was five. Steph was yeah. She was dope. I mean, you clearly it doesn't matter where you ended up because you have remained um, in the in the vocabulary of all Top Chef fans. Um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, buddy. I mean, it's fun to watch you on TV. Um, I wanted to talk about Chicago. You grew up there. Are you Sox or Cubs? I don't. I don't. Cubs, know. man, all the way, dude. Oh. I'm a Northsider. Like my house, <laughs> the house that I uh, first lived in in Andersonville is literally like two blocks up. Take the Clark Street bus all the way to Wrigley, and we could be 15 minutes away. <clears throat> it's so growing up. 
what's food like in your in your household? Are you are you doing like uh, like like tavern style pizza and beef? Are you doing more Filipino food? What's what's it like in the house? All Filipino food. Cool. I, you know, I'm I'm the first generation American. My parents are immigrants. It is hundred percent um, Filipino food. Um, sinigang, which is a tamarind based um, soup of either pork and shellfish. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of pork. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Sisig? Sisig. Not at home, but yeah. like just like pork adobo. Yeah. Um, a thing, a charchado. There's these dishes that were very traditionally Filipino uh, and a lot of fish. My parents ate a lot of fish. So we, a lot of whole fish. So like for me, like whole fish, you know, the mm. funkiness of like dried fermented fish, like that is like. That doesn't even phase me when it, I get I mean, cooked. it's your comfort food. It, it To me, it is. Like, when I go home and I see, like, there's that yeah. and, like, some two fried eggs and, like, some vinegar and some a pot of rice, it's like, all right. Oh, I'm what good. about quinoa? Uh, you know, it's something that my dad ate. Yeah. Uh, my mom, it's... It, 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 it's, like, raw, right? Yeah, it's a raw marinated in, like, vinegar. So yeah. it's very kind of ceviche-ish. Very much so. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. Um, my my dad, it's like my dad really loves it. Yeah. You know, my dad's, um, he was a merchant marine. He was also a chief oh. engineer on a boat. So oh, a lot cool. of that stuff comes from like that type of kind of that world, right? I remember Bad Saint used to do a quinilao that was so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember that restaurant? <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, shout out to those guys. They, they, they help put a lot of this on the map, right? I love those guys in D.C. I wish, they're not open anymore, right? No, no, no. I, he left. Um, the chef left. and That's uh, right. They kind of like went their own ways. Speaking of restaurants, Goose Feather um, in Terrytown, New York, just outside New York, you can get there on the on Metro North. You can drive up there. I mean, sneaky, sneaky, dude. Like my Thank favorite you. restaurant in the area. I love Tall Day, but we've I, I live about an hour away. I drive. It's dope. Love it. Thank you, man. And we you know we're really blessed. We have, um, you know, the staff, the team, the everything just kind of worked. It clicked, you know. And um, I, I, you know, I, I do believe that. While some people need partnerships, I do believe that the clearest vision and sense of authorship and voice happens when no one else is in the room. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about collaborations, but when there's one person, one voice, one person's kind of like direction for especially something like a restaurant, I think it's really important because uh, I think that's where some of my other restaurant ventures kind of went awry is that there's just too many, too many voices. Yeah. Too many, you know, shout out, you know, really kudos to my partners who kind of let, who also own the hotel, but they let me do my thing. They're like, yeah. hey, we like the direction that this is going. Just keep going there. So, I mean, it is in what, 19th century mansion up on a hill in Terrytown. It's it, most unique space, but then you're doing this modern, you know, there's, there's lots of Thai, there's lots of Filipino, there's, there's Korean flavors. I want to get a sense of, for our audience, what's your style? How do you define it? Because to me, it's just everything is swanier to use a, a corny term, but everything is so on point and you, so right. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. man. When we first opened that restaurant, we were like, hey, we're a modern Cantonese restaurant. We wanted to call it. Right. Because if I think for a lot of people who want to decide where they're going to go eat, you know, you have to kind of label it in those terms for someone to say, I can get my head around eating noodles and dim sum and stuff like that. But, you know, after the pandemic – and, I, you know, after like the kind of like the heart of the pandemic, we really started cooking food that we wanted to cook and taste and eat. And so we just, you know, if you're going to classify the food, we want it to be fun and craveable. And I think those are the two key things when we make 
dishes at the restaurant, is this fun mm-hmm. and is it craveable? Mm-hmm. I think there has to be this, you know, I think great restaurants have a craveability to them, right? Like something that when you eat and you're like, I could really eat that right now. That's big for me. You got a pea salad. Uh, my mom, like not like not local, but was like, yo, I'd come back to this. She didn't say, yo, that she's my mom. But she said like basically <laughs> pea salad is the best pea salad I've ever had. And I'm the same. And that's just one of these craveable recipes. Your pot stickers with, with like a dry aged beef in it from back from tall day with, with, with hot mustard. It's another one. You just think about the food. Well said, Dale, because I agree. It's a very craveable food. Yeah, you know, the pea salad is kind of a really, it's a sleeper. And I think there's something, and also I think there's something to be said about things that, like, read on a menu, like, uh, under-promising and over-delivering. Yeah. Like, when you read a, you know, this this snow pea salad, you're like, it's just snow pea salad. It's a salad. More more important, it's a salad. And who, like, oohs and ahs over salad? But we were like, if we're going to have a salad, especially, like, in this style of cuisine where salads... They're not, even, they're not mentioned in those terms. Like Vietnamese are big on like leafy greens mm-hmm. and like eating that with a bite here and a bite there. And so are Koreans. They do the panchan and, you know, you kind of pair different uh, contrasting textures with things. We wanted a salad that really spoke one of seasonality. Yeah. Um, so like whatever fruit is in season gets paired with the peas. We know snow peas aren't always in season. Um, but that's the base. And then, you know, watermelon, cherries, stone fruit, mm-hmm. a- Asian pear in the fall and winter, um, you know, honeycrisp apples too. So like for us, that is where we we add that type of seasonality. And then that there's highs and lows to it, right? There's a sweet, sour, bitter, salty umami to it. And that's the balance of your food because you definitely want to order like everything and it is craveable, but it doesn't feel like it's overbearing. It doesn't feel like it's going like extremely sour or you're not going extremely spicy like a northern Thai Mm -hmm. spice. Um, It feels like Terrytown is a place that has a lot of city folks, but like people who are not from the city, so you can't go too crazy. That must be interesting to kind of mix through the mix. We we are because there is definitely an older like there is a we call them like the penny vodka, the penny vodka crowd. <laughs> yes, and we love them, right? And they're the ones who are there, and they're the ones who are, are they're the residents of these communities that for a special night out they're like, oh, let's try this. So we can't be so over the top with trying to make these flavors that are so unexpected or kind of like polarizing, right? Not too super spicy, um, you yeah. know. Even like Szechuan, like. I love Szechuan food, but, like, it can be much. Like, two courses of Szechuan oh, food yeah. with that numbing and mm-hmm. spice for a lot of people's palates. And unless you eat it every day, it's a little heavy. So um, we're just trying to give them, like, something to uh, that's, like I said, fun and craveable. Yeah. And hopefully these fit in Goose Feather fit. Lots of fun, cool bar. What's a Dale Talde fried rice all about? I always feel like you always have a sneaky combination on there, and it's it's just cool. I mean, fried rice to me was always a meal that my mom made when— like there was a, ho- a hodgepodge of things happening. So I wanted to kind of still stay in that hodgepodge mode when we know our supreme rice. So that's like, you mm-hmm. know, land, air, and sea collabo. So there's always like something from the land, sea, and air. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time around, I think there's like pickled pineapple, there's pil- pickled pi- charred pineapple, there's shrimp. Um, you know, we're cooking in duck fat. So that, and so it's not so o- over the top, like, okay that's the land is, you know, a piece of meat. No, it could be we're cooking everything. You know, we're cooking it in, in clarified duck fat. And for us, that gives it a, a, a beautiful deep richness to the, to the dish. Um, but with the crab fried rice, I like modeling some rices also after like delicious pastas that I've had. Yeah. So like the crab fried rice for me, I saw Mark Ladner uh, when he was a chef at Del Posto make this 
spaghetti dish that was Dungeness crab, all kind of like the, you know, the mustard and all like the kind of like the head fat. He made a sauce with that. And then he did jalapenos and a sofrito was like, you know, when he made his sauce was like celery and and shallots and garlic. And I was like, that's such a cool idea. I want to make that into a fried rice. So that's kind of direct. We, we use that as like the, the, the brains and the offal from the crab, like all that great shit in there. All that stuff. But we use that as like the, that was the inspiration. Yeah. And then let's make it fried rice. So then we went through to like, you know, egg and crab. The, the funk came from an aioli. Cause mm. you know, we, we, we did the head crab thing and we're like, it's just too much. So let's pare it a little down. So instead of that kind of funky mix, we were like, we want a creaminess to this. So mm-hmm. we added this jalapeno aioli that's really pounded with a lot of fish sauce. So aioli in a fried rice, interesting. So there's eggs yeah. and and it has that egginess, that, that European structure to yeah, it. Yeah, almost like, you know, like a paella-ish thing where you yeah. get like a rui or you get like um, an aioli on top of like Oh, a, yeah, or know. like bouillabaisse. Exactly. Has that, has that like little scoop on top of it Yeah, too. just to add richness to it. And I thought yeah. that... I love fried rice. Just I just love it. But yeah. I thought that really brought it over the top. It's really cool. I have a couple like rapid questions. Are you going to open in New York, like Brooklyn, Manhattan? Man, I'd hope so. I mean, I'm always looking. I'm never going to say never. We really love where we are now. But you know, there's opportunities. We have some pokers in the fire about yeah. some places, and uh, yeah, we're excited. We we, you know, I wanted to kind of get over year one of year one point one and a half of a kid, get oh, over the yeah. top. Yeah. So. It's not, he's not so hard. So now we're really kind of uh, searching out options. You're thinking about options. Yeah. I know you live in New Jersey now, and your wife's Korean. I've met her. She's great. And we've talked, we've hung out and had some food. Are you going to open a Korean restaurant? I'd love to. I'd love to. I would I mean, love to see that. So I have a concept for one that is like, let's go. Come on. What is it? So my sister in law used to call me the brother in law is Hyungbu. Mm-hmm. So I thought she was calling me Youngbu. And I thought I was like, let's like, this, like that's a cool rapper name. Misheard, like, yeah, yeah. Youngbu. But that would be the name of the, the barbecue. This Korean inspired, but also like, you know, Southeast Asia has a, a, a amazing. Their style of barbecue isn't low and slow. It's like fast and hot. Yeah, and it's just like cooking on a grill like that. So yeah. I want to use Southeast Asia as the. Um, as inspiration of where the flavors come from, because I love lemongrass, like lemongrass pork and beef, and um, but but tabletop cooking, but have some structure that's similar to like with the panchan and yeah, has, but it's a soups. tabletop, but it's on a tabletop, yeah. and all the panchan and all like you know, I love it because it's like is Israel also has that like Definitely. with the salatim, yeah, like there is that feel of like when dishes just come to the table and you don't know what they are and they have to like you you pick your own adventure or oh your, yeah. That's so cool to me. Like, I think that's just, I think that's what excites people about Korean food as well. It's like, I don't know what any of this stuff is, but I know it's, it looks all delicious. I'm going to try it. And, and I get a really nice sampling of flavors and structures and 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 cool ingredients. And I definitely think Mike, what Mike Solomonov is doing with, with Laser Wolf and his solid team mm-hmm. is cool. It's, it's, it's dope. I think there's a percentage of the world that eats that way yeah. that I think like American culture still has to get, get behind. I mean, and you're getting there in the major cities, like they get it, but like. They don't understand when you drop five little dishes on a table and they're like, what is this? Well, this is your meal. Like, this is the start of your meal. Yeah. And don't take it away when you're done. Like, just add to it because it, it's going to make whatever you're eating in your second course even better. 
But your food always has twists too. And that's the cool thing. I think maybe in lesser hands saying there's going to be a Southeast Asian influence, but there's going to be a structure of Korean. It might not be handled as well, but I have full confidence that it'll be so cool to see you do a grill restaurant. One of the things that I've always told my chefs and, and people that I collaborate food with is that don't mix like China and Vietnam are two different places. Japan and Vietnam are two different places. Don't mix those two together. You Like where would there be this mix, Japan and you know, Japan and Seattle. There's a mm. ton of Japanese in Seattle. So that food makes sense because they, there's a lot of Japanese people there. Oh, yeah. Right? Vietnamese and Texas and, and Louisiana. Yeah, Houston. Houston. Great, 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 great. All that food, there is a, that's a birthplace of that Viet Cajun thing. Yep. That food goes well together because those communities have combined. Mm -hmm. So when I tell them how to kind of like mix those cultures together that's how you mix those cultures together nikkei cuisine perfect example like japan has been in peru forever mm -hmm. so that food tastes good now because like they've created these dishes that you know were never made before and the philippines is like a, a ma major example of of how spain mm -hmm. has has you know used uh you know through ugly colonial uh, movements yeah. and colonization, but, you know, ultimately Spain and uh, an island nation have come together. And made food that, you know, is, listen, to, and this is the crazy part about kind of like colonization. The Philippines is one of those countries that only, that I honestly believe like a lot of traditional, a lot of Filipinos don't think of it as a negative thing. I A lot of Filipinos are like, especially older Filipinos are like, they're proud that like, oh, I have Spanish blood in me. And where it's like, you know, that was like under such really bad terms, but through that food came about, you know? Yeah, food I mean, I am nothing, I sense nothing but pride from Filipino Americans and Filipinos who, about the cuisine and how it's so unique in, in, in Asian food. Like it's just like a unique, um, it's an island. <laughs> it's out, out there in an island. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like spice isn't like, a, even though we're that close to the equator, spice isn't the heavy. No. Um, there is a bread culture yeah. and a baking culture there, which is kind of unique, you know, because we get that from the European, from the European yeah. side. Um, but it is a rice culture, right? So it's like you have all these really fun things to play with. Um, and, you know, like what is adobo in the Philippines isn't adobo in Mexico and isn't adobo in other Latin. I mean, you look at also like Kerala and Vindaloo. Mm -hmm. It's a similar story, too. You know, it's it's this colonization and this ugly chapter. But, of course, Carolyn cuisine is is extremely original mm -hmm. and I'm prideful. People are prideful about it. And Filipinos are. I mean, you know, yeah. I think – and especially now there's a lot of these Filipinos who are um, like Tim Flores and, and his wife who are, who are doing Filipino food uh, and making it and, not, and being un unapologetic and charging $250 for a tasting menu of, of Filipino food. And it's like – Thank, kudos, guys. Like, you know, when I was growing up, there was no way we were doing that. Mm -hmm. you know, no way when we started to have that idea that this would it would turn into that. Back to Chicago. Sorry, I need to just go back and ask mm -hmm. about about pizza in Chicago. I mean, are you a tavern guy or are you a deep dish guy? Tavern all the way. Oh, one one deep dish. It's Pequod's. You are a Pequod's guy. I'm a big Pequod's guy. Yeah. I get Pequod's when I get home, but I, I'm a tavern pie guy. Yeah, tavern pie. I mean, tavern pie all the way. I mean, that's a th misconception with Chicago is people think that it's a deep dish city. It's a t once, once you get out of downtown, it's all tavern pie. It's all tavern. And, and anyone who knows, and we've had plenty of talk on the show about tavern style, and it's so good. It's like the best pizza, I think, in the country. Uh, it's, it's having a real moment now. Yeah, it is. Um, You're right. I'm doing it at home. 
It's what I'm practicing at home. Okay. Because I would love a I would love a pizza joint. Let's go. Okay, let's do that tavern style Chicago, up in White Plains or up. Right now it's out of uh, out of the crib in River Edge, New Jersey. <laughs> right. come, by, come slide by when I make a batch. Come slide by. I, I will and, do that. And I am making pies. That and at Goose Feather, we're popping it up at Goose Feather, and we want to make cool, just fun. And honestly, it's like you know, with with really fun regulars like that. Part of what we're doing at Goose Feather is just to really add programming that help. That's just, just people don't, aren't used to the normal like pot stickers and noodles. They're like, hey, dude, there's this tavern pie guy making tavern pies. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. No, it's a cool space. I, I highly recommend a link to the show notes, the, the uh, Hitting Up Goose Feather. Super dope restaurant. One more Chicago question. What's up with beef? Are you are you a beef sandwich guy? Are you, yeah. are you into it? Yeah, I'm a Italian beef guy. I mean, I love Italian beef. I mean, th- this is the thing is, is because of the show, you know, because of... Um, that show, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? The bear, the bear. Yeah, you, I, you're not a fan. I, 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 I'm a fan of everything. They, I just can't watch it. Yeah, it's just, it's really close to home. Like when Joel McHale walked up to the chef's character, yeah, Carmi, yeah, Carmi, when he walked up to him and was like, "You're, you're terrible. I don't know why. You know, you should never get into cooking. You're, t- you're awful at this job. Mm. I don't know why I hired you." Like I had chefs say that into my ear. Like, and I was just like, that was there was like a. Oh yeah, a really a really intense like moment going. Oh my god, that like that 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 kind of stuff has been said to me. So I was like, I can't watch this. Like it's so like if I wanted to go to work, I'd go to work. <laughs> you know I mean, Stefano from Residora said the same thing. He couldn't even listen, watch the show. It's so it, because it's so accurate. It's triggering, yeah, man. It's triggering. It's because of its accuracy. It, it, those fine dining places. It's like guys get get the pressure so much for these guys. This is what it takes to get. Not everyone takes. But I'll tell you, man, like, you know, championship football teams, when mistakes are made, they don't walk up to a guy, hold his hand and say, mm. good, thank you for trying. No, uh, when you fail, absolutely. When you, you fail, you, you know. You, you hear, but also when you're kind of in training camp, there's a coach whispering some evil shit in your ear. Yeah, they're pushing you and trying yeah. to motivate you to not make that mistake again. And sometimes things get said, and I'm not advocating that this is right or wrong. It just it's happened to me, and it was triggering for me to watch the show. And I was like, I can't watch the show. But I'm an Italian beef guy. Yeah. If you're a real Chicago slob like me, you get the combo. Do you know what the combo is? Uh, no. What is that? So the combo is you order a a, a full size Polish sausage. They put that on the bottom of it. Uh-huh. Then they top the whole thing with Italian beef. Giardinera is what I get. Obvious. Obvious. I mean, like. More jardinera than you probably should have. Your yeah. sodium level for the month is okay yeah. after you've had it. Yeah, your ring is like is swelling yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. And then I top it off with cheese, like the <laughs> melty cheese. And then you better eat it. You better eat that thing in about two minutes because the bread falls apart. That's the thing about that sandwich that I'm kind of like when they dip it and they add the extra wet element. To me, wetness and bread doesn't go for me. You got to eat it fast or yeah. get the side dip. And then dip it one at a time. Oh, that's cool. I like the side. Like it's yeah, it's like a French dip. You know, it's like a French dip in that way. That's where I think Chicago doesn't get it right. Structurally, the sandwich doesn't make sense. I agree, and it's you no know, one wants to eat a have a mess either. It's too much. But that's just me editorializing. Right no, now. I know I, I totally understand what you're saying. If you were to engineer the sandwich these days, you would put something with more structure, right? It would be more like a baguette, something baguette that could hold that type of liquid. But they don't. And uh. that's, that's what we do. So All Up In My Grill is your show on Taste Made. Really fun. And Dale, I just love seeing you on television, as I've mentioned. It's just like you have real, really great energy. 
Um, you've just launched season three. Tell me what's going on with the new season and what's the show all about. So, you know, season three, it's about leveling up. Um, nice. When we when I talked to the producers and directors, I was like, guys, you know, we're season three. We did. We're doing a gas grill. What's out? What's what's bring an element of live fire to this? Yeah. Let's do some things that you know people have fun toys now, especially after COVID when they're cooking every meal by themselves. So <laughs> let's bring out the pizza ovens. Let's do the fun things that like that level up your cooking. And it you know the show is really about first of all taking kind of like this mystery of like getting on a grill and doing more than just burgers and hot dogs and understanding that your grill is really just an extension of your kitchen except you're outside and it's even better usually outside with a frosty beverage yep music playing and you're around loved ones and usually you know sometimes dinner is very solitary <laughs> like I'm going to make dinner and then feed it to my kids and my family but here it's usually like an event right and yeah. treat it like an event like treat it with some even if you're just making a Tuesday night dinner it's so great and so true. I also like when you grill, you can just get it ripping super hot and you can, you know, you don't have to worry about smoking up your house. You can just like go and that's like high temperature cooking. If you go to any restaurant, you're like you're in the back, you're like it's high temperature that's important for caramelization and the uh, Maillard reaction, all that stuff. And on a grill, like you can do that and not like ruin your night with like smelling onions all night. Well, and also that grilling and smoking and cooking over wood is the only method of cooking that adds flavor to your ingredient, right? Very true. So even if you're cooking, like, even a piece of steak, even if it's on a grass grill, that that fat off that steak hits, you know, hits the fire, that fire then smokes and carbonizes and then hits the steak again, and it tastes, that's what gives that flavor of a grill, right? Yeah. And we're all searching for that, especially this time now. But the, that's the ethos of the show, is that get out, cook, um, have fun, and to take a little bit of, Chance, take some chances because it's it. not just about burgers and brats and hot dogs. No. It's, you know, fish tacos and pizzas and brunch. Yeah, you know, grill your brunch. Yeah, give me some some like like left field, uh, like a left field item that you can grill that maybe we don't know about. Oh, um, Dutch uh, Dutch pancakes. I mean, those are like easy things. Uh, roasty potatoes. You know, um, I, I I use that because I think everyone associates the grill with lunch and dinner, where it's like. You know, it's a it's a heat source. As long as you have, you know, your ingredients kind of in in where they mise en place, and you're thinking of it correctly, like it could turn into anything. I think what's happened with is you see these griddles, those big outdoor griddles mm -hmm. people are using, and understanding like, oh, we can do anything outside. Yeah, with a flat top griddle, it's like a great cooking surface, and that leads to a question I have: If you're doing a hamburger, are you doing great? Or are you doing griddle? What do Gr you? Oh, uh, griddle. Almost always, ex except for if you're doing a like a steakhouse burger. Oh, okay. Because for me personally, I love smash burgers. Yeah. Like that's kind of like I'm a smash burger guy. And you need flat top for that. And you need flat top for that. Yeah. But f if you're doing a steakhouse burger, right, and I'm thinking anything six ounces and up to me is a steakhouse burger. So um, we have one in the, on, on the next season. It's a, it's a steakhouse burger, um, but it's inspired by uh, like kind of French style cooking. So we do um, potatoes, uh, boulangere. Oh, cool. Wow. And we make a patty out of that boulangere potato, right? It's demi. It's cooked potatoes cooked in demi glace yeah. with cheese and bacon and caramelized onions. And we cut a disc out and we put that on top of the. It's like jamming French fries or corn chips into your burger, but now we're just putting this really decadent potato on top of it. Mm. And then Dijonese, I do black truffles. So it's like, for us, it's like, if you're going to make a burger, 
go over the top. Go over the top and impress your guests. Um, what makes you a great food TV competitor? I, I, I just wanted to ask you that. Like, you're, you're like really solid. I think one is understanding the rules. And that is, it, it's, 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 it's not always this, it, it, it doesn't sound as simple as it. It's understanding what people want. And I think to some degree, my food plays very well into what kind of judges, when you have to eat, when you have to eat 18 little bites of something, <laughs> you have to make it an impact. Yeah. It can't be, hey, I found this amazing tomato and I put salt and pepper on it and this beautiful extra virgin olive oil from Tuscany and the blah, 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 they're blah, blah. They're blocking that shit out. Like, they don't they, even they, taste that shit after, yeah. the, after you've eaten my food. My, some of my food, I want to make it so that when you eat something else, it comes off bland. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So spicy, you know, sweet, spicy, salty, fatty, rich. I want all those in a bite. And the next time you eat that dude who's like that, you know, <laughs> oh, uh, I'm farm to table and this and that. And you're like, okay. They taste their food and they go, that was under seasoned. Yeah. And their food wasn't under seasoned. No, man. But you. Mine was so on the edge. Yeah. That it's, it was, it ruined your palate for everybody It's really else. a secret to go bold or go home. You have to, in these shows, if people don't understand that in these cooking shows, when they're eating this many plates of food or bites of food, when you get to the end, subtle food. The nuances, the subtle nuances get picked up. But in the beginning, like to get to the halfway through, your food better be impactful. Yeah. It better be crunchy, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, have umami. Um, so yeah. that's, I think, what makes that's, me a great competitor. That's cool. What's, Dale, what's your ultimate food TV goal? What do you want to do? Oh man, I, I I'm I'm I've got a couple I've got a couple epi- uh a couple things I'd like to shop around. I mean, it, it, things that aren't even necessarily in food, but like just in mm. my my wife's world. Um, you know, my my wife and I, my wife's Korean, so we had a show about uh, um a doll is a first birthday. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever really know what this was about. And then when I had my first child, my wife, oh, we had this birthday. It's a, it's the biggest deal. It's da 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 da. And then when I got the bill for it, and it was like fifteen thousand dollars. Oh like, yeah, Yo, we spent fifteen grand on a one year old's birthday. Yeah. And it got me thinking, like, we're not the only ones. I'm not the only one. And there have to be ones more over the top. So I just started thinking, my, there's a show behind this of like really just documentary, like documenting yeah. style, like not win or loss. It's just like. How big have these dolls gotten? Have these first birthdays gotten? And it was really just a show that my wife and I put together. And That's so cool. And you shot it? No, we're shopping it around. I hope you can do that. I know somebody who's who's getting ready for the one year for his family in LA. And it's such it's crazy. People buy whole new outfits. Oh yeah, like, the fits are really real. And, and then of course you got the objects that the child picks for yeah. their profession. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, like it just it just. There was like 200 people at this one. Yeah. We rented a, whole, a restaurant. It was crazy stuff. But What was on the menu? It was at a steakhouse. So we very steakhouse-ish. We did a lot of kid stuff, um, yeah. you know, because we had a lot of kids there. But, we you know, we had we had uh, raw bar. Um, they did sliders. It was such like— it, It's like it, Sweet 16 Bar Mitzvah. It was zone. so— But for a one-year-old. <laughs> except for a one-year-old. Um, but we have that show shopping around. I'm shopping around um, something that's really a mix of fashion and food when it comes to, like— um, you, you, you know, I wear a barong, or you you know this too in Korean culture, the hanbok. Yeah, right? of course. Like the a hanbok is a, is their formal wear, right? And a, a barong is Filipino formal wear. Um, so we are looking at like designers who specialize in these traditional traditional things and uh, how it pairs garbs, yeah, yeah, and how it pairs up with food because generally these are worn during special occasions and there's special food that happens around these yeah. occasions too. So it's the idea of food fashion. And, um, like these designers who are like 
kind of going against the grain in the Western culture, right, about like what formal fashion wear or just fashion in general is and trying to bring it back to like customary um, customary clothes. But the food that also pairs up with that. I love that. I mean, you're clearly thinking so outside the box when it comes to food content. And I, I wish that these all could get made. I want to ask you lastly about cookbooks because uh, Asian American, the book that you wrote with JJ Good, wild wild art direction man you like like went for it yeah if we, went, we, went for, we went for it and i don't know if it if it was to our benefit but we went for it, it was the book that i really wanted to make i mean it was a time and place you know yeah yeah it, it was a book that i really wanted to make in hindsight it, it maybe cool it off a little bit but regardless i think that one the recipes were yeah. they work they're that, great that's what kills me is that like you know, I get inspired by cookbooks, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just get inspired by, like, I don't look at the recipes. at the. I just look at, like, the, the, the yeah. art. But when I get back the response of people actually making things, yeah. I'm like, dude, really? You made that? <laughs> I, I feel the same way when people cook from our books. It's it's really flattering and, and so and complimentary. Beautiful. And beautiful. What a beautiful cookbook you did. Oh, thanks, done. buddy. We're about to we're about to do our next one too. Hey man, I'm 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 uh, if you if you if you need if you're looking for more inspiration, I'm. <laughs> oh, we hang. Yeah, Dukey and I will be up in at Goose Feather next time he's in yeah, town. Yeah. In closing, Dale, I'm going to ask you, which I ask most guests, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world to create this book, what would that book be? So it would be a book about uh, Korean and Filipino food because, and I would dedicate this to my children, but it would be food from our family because we were, you know, two cultures um, that also had pop-up that had like the pop-up children's um, element of oh, it. Oh, I love that. But that pop-up element would be actually showing how to make like a fold of like a dumpling. Because I feel like when you see things in 2D, you oh, I could do that. And then you put it in, you put a dumpling wrapper in your hand and you watch someone make it. It's really hard. But in 3D, if you see someone like rolling mm-hmm. uh, a dumpling or... Um, cutting, you know, cutting like a, a, a sashimi of fish. That is when people start to understand, okay, like, because that's how my brain works. Yeah. Um, and I know that, could, that, like, I wanted a piece of that in my old cookbook, and they're like, do you know how expensive that's going to be? And I was like, you got to make that happen, because if someone looks at, like, a technique, like making sash- sushi, a nigiri, like, you could see someone in a book do that all day long. But until you're holding, like, how many grams, like, this piece of nigiri rice needs to be 22 grams. Mm-hmm. When you hold what that is in your hand, what 22 grams feels like and how that rice should feel in your hands or look at it, that's when I think people understand, like, that's when the knowledge of, like, making something happens. Because they're not like, okay, this is how my hand is supposed to be, left or right. So, like, that's what I would do. I love that. So a pop-up interactive book, I agree. That's why you're great at television. You gotta, <laughs> you got to, like, show people what to do. Books are, don't really quite mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. Del Talde, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Dude, thank you for having me. Great seeing you, man. This Is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 